Hi, this is Brent Keltner coming to you from Beantown, and you're listening to The Sassholes with my man Kevin Gaither and Pete Janssens. Welcome to Sassholes, a show dedicated to issues within the software as a service industry. We are revenue ops with a... I tried something. All right. I'm, I might have to adjust that later. Jamie, <laughs> Jason, KG, and myself, Pete, have a combined eh, 100 years of making interesting decisions. Please subscribe to our weekly newsletter. Okay, today we have on the show Brent Keltner, PhD. He's the founder and president of Winalytics. Did I say that right? I think I did. A go-to-market and revenue acceleration consultancy. He's also author of the forthcoming book, The Revenue Acceleration Playbook. Winalytics helps clients reach their top growth potential by shifting from product-driven conversations to authentic conversations that anchor on buyer-defined value. Before starting Winalytics, Brent spent more than a decade as revenue leader in enterprise to early-stage companies, including Kaplan, Eddie Ventures, plus Delta Partners, and Collegiate Link. He began his career as a Ph.D. social scientist and spent 10 years conducting qualitative research interviews at Stanford University and the RAND Corporation. But before we get to Brent, this episode is brought to you by NeuroNoodle. Hey, parents of athletes, get a do of their noodle now, which is a brain map before and during and after the season so you have a baseline to compare it to in case something happens. Hey, you get a physical every year, right? We'll get a brain checkup now before the season starts, begins, ends. Schedule an appointment now at NeuroNoodle.com. KG. Yes, Pete. This is where I want Jamie on the show and not on an airplane. Yes, Pete. All right. You know, as you get older, you got to think about, you know, what you're going to do. You got to have your affairs in order. So Mm -hmm. I do a little research. Mm. I'm thinking about having my ashes stored in a glass urn. Remains to be seen. (laughs) Leave us some comments on our blog at sassholes.net. Hey, I got to laughter. I got you, you, you and my parents. That's a very Golden State concept. <laughs> gold. Yeah, yeah. Don't want any of me to remain. <laughs> that's right. on the mountains or in the ocean or <laughs> or like go go with the goldfish. <laughs> KG, you got any shout outs, my friend? I do have a couple of shout outs, but first, I actually have a referral for you for NeuroNoodle. Oh. Uh, yeah, I think oh. uh, I, I'm going to send some business to, to NeuroNoodle. Um, University of Arizona got their heads knocked in by the CU Buffs. Go Buffs! A couple nights ago. <laughs> and uh, so I think they're going to need to get a brain map after they got their butts <laughs> kicked. And then uh, number two, uh, today's first day of Women History Month. So shout out to all the hardworking women out there that do what you do. Um, and then uh, congratulations to Jessica Wong for being promoted to Senior Vice President of Sales National at NIAC. She used to work for me as like an individual contributor. Now she's SVP of Sales. Awesome. And congratulate, Yeah, right. And congratulations, Daniel uh, Portillo, Portillo for starting as an additional position as co-founder at the General Partnership. And then finally, congratulations to Amy English, one of my favorite humans out there for starting as Director of Analytics at military.com and fastweb.com at monster.com. Ever heard of them, Pete? Monster.com? Monster, yeah. Back in the day. Amy, reach out. I couldn't find you on LinkedIn. Where are you? Congratulate Steve Cerny, 16 years at Career Builder. That's a long time. I remember him coming in off the street out of school. 
wet behind the ears. <laughs> now he's a chief revenue officer, my friend. Isn't that awesome? Congratulate Charlotte Guyman, 19 years at Berkshire Hathaway. Oh, man, she's old school Microsoft. You want to talk about right when the Internet was happening, there was this thing called uh, Microsoft Sidewalk. Look it up, youngsters. Oh, Learn something. Huh. Congratulate Amanda Durianzio for four years at Colwell Banker. Way to go, Amanda. We need you in the Sassholes Band. Great lead singer. All right, so KG, how do you know Brent? I, I always, I'm going to mess this up, Brent, so you, you correct me when I'm wrong. So uh, I'm friend, I, we used to work at ZipRecruiter. I'm close friends with Dave Travers, the CFO and current president of, uh, actually, he's not the CFO. He's the, now the president at ZipRecruiter. And Brent and Dave's wife are related. Did I get that right? You got that right. Oh. Katie Jekyll is my second cousin. There you go. So I grew up going to uh, Thanksgivings with uh, Katie and then Katie and Dave and uh, Katie's whole family. Yeah, there, there, yeah, there you go. A great guy. Yeah, it's Known a day for years. Yeah, and Travers, uh, old Travs, introduced me to Brent several months ago, and uh, we got. I've never, I never heard of Brent before. Brent never heard of me before, and we got on the phone and we uh, and we hit it off. And I said, you know what? With your new book coming up, you've got to come on to this assholes. Our audience would love to hear from you. So, Brent, thanks for coming on the show, man. Yeah, of course. I always love talking to like-minded revenue leaders. Well, you're also talking to Pete, who will be a dissenting opinion on everything. He's gonna say, he's gonna say marketing sucks, leads suck. He's I hate say revenue. Thing. I'm a cash guy. I'm a sales guy. How did you get to where you are today? Yeah, it was not a straight line. But um, as Pete introduced, I started out life as an academic, and not only was an academic, but I was raised by educators. So at Stanford and Rand, I was doing research with banks and insurance companies and telecommunications companies. I thought I had to develop a set of commercial practices, right, to engage them. Uh, and so I got really good at leading what we now call authentic conversations, which mm. nothing about Rand or nothing about the project. It's all about you, what's in it for you in terms of participating in a call. Who else are we working with that, that you would know? Uh, really successful at Rand, you know, John setting projects, John Reed, the kind of iconic CEO of Citigroup was a project sponsor, Gary mm. Gregg at Liberty Mutual, who made them the dominant player in the mid-market, went on to become the CEO, was a project sponsor, got all the banks in New York and et cetera, et cetera, and raised a bunch of money. Last year, I was there, raised about three and a half million in as principal or co-principal investigator. Mm -hmm. uh, and so I said, man, uh, you know, the last year they sat me down and they said, hey, Brent, great year. This year, rather than a three and a half percent pay raise, you get a five and a half percent pay raise. <laughs> Yay. Yay. So exciting. Yay. I, I got to find a different venue for the skill set. So I went over what academics call, you know, the dark side. I went over to Kaplan and their higher education group. And then I had a great year, but quickly went to EduVentures. You mentioned both those companies. Uh, and I started building go-to-market teams. And I went all to all my buddies in, you know, business and sales, like, hey, give me your best resources. All the stuff they sent me was about dragging the buyer through the pain, mm -hmm. pitching them your product, mm -hmm. handling their objectives their objections and closing them down. And I was like, where's the buyer in this? Mm -hmm. Where's the buyer partnership mm -hmm. in this? So I went right back to what I had done at Rand, leading, taught my team how to run authentic conversations, 
begins and ends with what's the buyer trying to solve and what will they do about it to realize that value? Had four quick growth successes on the education side, uh, then started consulting. And honestly, as I went to the enterprise sales teams, they were just like, hey, where's your pitch plan, man, if you're going to train my team? Where's your close plan? And I was like, no, we want them to actually lead with buyer value. And I just hit a wall <laughs> until proved it enough time. No, there's a new way of doing things. You got to lead with your buyer's why, first, second, and third at every touch point, and you will grow faster. Got a book coming out about it, and now we're rocking and rolling in every segment, you know, uh, every sector, just helping people grow faster by leading with authenticity. Um, Brent, uh, this is awesome. So tell me, what are the three main tenets of the revenue acceleration playbook? Yep. So three, you got to have value playbooks, which are about how your product builds buyer value that connect messaging across marketing, prospecting, sales, and customer success. Mm -hmm. Two, you have to have team level playbooks for every buyer and customer interaction. How does each team manage an interaction around buyer value? And three, you got to practice those. You got to train playbook based training. <laughs> Talk to us about product led growth. Is that an oxymoron? I'm an old school sales guy. If you if the product's that good, why do you need any salespeople? But anyways, what is product-led growth? Yeah, look, I mean, and people always say, hey, you're talking about these value playbooks, but we have a product or a service to sell. Of course you do. At the end of the day, you have a product or service to sell, and you need to sell that product or service. What we say is buyer goals first, product second. So until you figure out what your, what your buyer's target is, you probably are product pitching. Right. And so, mm -hmm. yes, you're selling a product, but just get your buyer to tell, you know, why are they on the call? What's what's keeping them up at night? Like of the three things we work on, which is most important for them. But so that's one thought. The other product led growth is awesome. If you're want a terminal velocity of a twenty five hundred or five thousand dollar ASP, because once you get to an economic buyer, they could give a shit about your product features or how it is easy it is to implement it. Mm -hmm. They yeah, want to know yeah. what the outcome is. Once you get to a, yeah. a VP or a C-level, you, you got to have a case or a business case. And it's got to be a YouTube short. You get one minute if you're lucky. Yep. I bet you these videos are going to go to 30 seconds. It's, uh -huh. it's crazy, the, the, the attention span that's out there. What is a playbook? Is that just another word for script that we don't, you know, want to freak out the uh, youngsters about? <laughs> That's a great question. Can I give you, uh, before we leave product-led growth, I want to give you one example. Yeah, go ahead. Aginity Corporation, we've, we did some work with last year. They have a really a transformational, it's a SQL analytics platform. So now basically you can have a massive enterprise like Amazon mm -hmm. that uh, everybody that's doing SQL code can do it independently, but then connect it. Mm -hmm. And they started in a product-led growth mode. They'd get trials, and then, mm -hmm. you know, 10 people in a group would do it, and they'd sell to the manager. Mm -hmm. but, you know, Rick Hall, who is the project sponsor, and Chris Code, who's the VP of marketing and sales there, is like, okay, the next level of growth for us has to be how do we translate those different analytics groups into a case around faster time to business insights? 30% reduction in terms of our analytics force to get to the same result if we're going to sell to a VP of analytics, if we're going to sell to a CDO. So built a massive um, install base, product-led growth, but now to get the bigger dollar values they wanted, they had to build a, a business outcome story on top of that.
So let me ask you this. There, there's an old adage in Sandler that says no pain, no sale. And they in the Sandler submarine, we work through our um, discovery process that they articulate as the pain funnel. And it starts out with surface level, level pains and it goes to a business level pain and then it goes down to a, a personal pain for the individual you know, person. What's the difference between understanding a pain and like and, and like delivering value? for the, you know, for the, for the customer. How do, do you think about those things differently or is that the same thing? I, I think it's a very similar mechanism guiding people down from the overall challenge they have to, you know, what are they currently doing? What could they be doing? What's the personal pain for you? All I would say to folks is if you think about flipping it mm-hmm. from a pain funnel to a, we talk about a buyer success statement. Mm-hmm. If, if you can help your buyer see a more successful future, they're going to be a lot more excited about getting back on the phone with you. How do you counsel sales leaders or salespeople that say, look, our buyers, they, they are not going to go through the Spanish inquisition of all the, give me all the questions and you're going to ask me 10 questions before you even show me what you got. So just show us what you got. How, how do you, how do you teach or train or guide uh, sales leaders and salespeople on how to handle that that real or perceived problem. Yeah, I had a great uh, podcast session with Lori Richardson, and we talked about that. I don't know if you know her. Uh, she sells conference. Um, we had a, talked about this, and re- really, it's a great point. You have to think about discovery as a series of small wins. Mm. You don't get the answers the whole time. And what I added on is, you got to recap often right, is when you, you start at that level one of what are you working on and what, what have you tried, what haven't you tried? Okay, did I hear you correctly that you're trying to, with Agenity, you know, you're trying to bring these different groups onto the same analytics platform, but right now you can't share code. Did I hear you correctly and what have you tried? What are you working on? If we were able to do this, would that solve your problem? So I think it's you don't try and get it all in one chunk. Mm about it as a series of small wins give and take give and take and what your goal is i heard something that may be valuable i'm going to confirm i hear that and then we'll go deeper and we'll keep going i think the skill of recapping is something every salesperson can work on all the time now brent getting back to the playbooks is that just another fancy word for script so the youngsters don't freak out yeah, no, we talk about it as a framework. And so what could a playbook in a, in a sales and deal velocity, one of our team level playbooks, um, it, it might be a value discovery play, right? What what are three good levels of questions? It might be, how do you use the last 10 minutes, right? What are the things we want to ask the buyer to confirm? We do plays around what's a good follow-up email. Are you able in that follow-up email to see the success statement, your capability alignment? What do you agree to next could be around the deck you use to manage a stakeholder call. So for us, usually a play is a one to two page document to manage each phase of the buyer or customer interaction. And we explicitly don't want it to be a script. It's a framework that you take ownership of. You put in your own kind of language, your own stories, right? Your own capability talk tracks. But by virtue of developing a play, now you can compare. And now team-based training is, how did it work for you when you were selling to the chief agility, chief data officer, 
in the retail segment. What did you hear about kind of the key areas of where they could get their data to work together? So a play really just means we can compare and run things in a similar way. Yeah, I mean, look, sport. You, well, I don't know what sports teams you guys follow, football, college football, baseball, whatever, but if uh, your kind of your main sports team didn't have a playbook, you know, how serious would you think they were? <laughs> if they didn't practice their playbook, how serious would you think they were? So a lot of go-to-market teams don't have a playbook. It's the individual kind of heroic model. So all you're saying with a playbook and individual plays is, you know, let's agree to a framework on how we go to market, how we manage every buyer or customer interaction. Now, I've been out of the biz for, for a while. It's, you know, one thing to consult, but it's another thing to carry the bag and get your hands dirty. Mm. Um, do you think kids <laughs> – no, I'm just, I'm just getting back to the dating analogy. You brought up a sports analogy. I think the kids today understand dating. You know, you you have a one-night stand. You have a long-term relationship. I look at that as revenue, one-night stand. You know, that's invoicing and cash. And, you know, what 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 is the script? All the same things that you can say on a date, whether it's, you, you know, how'd you get the lead? Was it Tinder? I don't even know what the new stuff is, right? But you swipe right. Okay, you got the lead. All right, now you got to close for the live call, right? Well, all the different steps. I think dating is a, is a, one of the playbooks out there, if you want to use the term, that I think uh, kids today can, can understand. KJ, you got a thought on that? Well, I, I mean, I think what you're getting at is if you go into a dating situation and can't have an authentic conversation and understand about the other person on the other side of the table or the other side of the screen, you're going to have a hard time um, having that relationship progress. And I put that in air quotes. Brent, uh, thoughts on the analogy? Yeah, no, I think it's exactly right. I mean, usually in a dating situation, you're kind of asking questions to see where people come out on core things like work-life balance or family. Like, do you want to spend your vacations with your family, mm-hmm, right? You're mm-hmm. looking do you for, want a family? What, what's that? Do you even want a family? Do you want a family? <laughs> so you're asking questions about key area of value to kind of draw them out Yeah. so you can see if there's a fit. And part two of the conversation is, okay, well, this is how I think about, you know, how I would spend my vacations or how I think about saving versus traveling. Uh, and then you're kind of seeing if you have a match there. And then at the end, you agree, okay, well, what do we do about it next? I really love the dating. I use the dating analogy all the time when I talk, you know, coach and consult. Imagine a world, Brent, where you showed up to a date. And the other person showed up and all they did for 30 minutes was talk about themselves. You'd be like, this person's awful. And you wouldn't want to have any other relationship with them. Instead, the most interesting person. And you didn't know they were rich. Right. right, Yeah, exactly. (laughs) And and you'd end up that conversation and go, gosh, they're awful. Where the opposite side of that, Brent, is the person who asks me a lot of questions that per- the other person ends up being the most interesting person in the world, and yet they were just asking me questions, right, Brent? Yep. Well, and, and so it's a great analogy on the value of recapping. So they ask you a question, and then they showed they were paying attention and actually responded with, like, oh, okay, that's, I also had that same travel experience, or I had that same bad professor experience in college, or that bad family experience 
trip, right? And so they heard you, they responded, now they're validating what you said, 100%, that give and take, it's a great analogy. Hey, Brent, is it true you were in uh, CEO World Magazine? I, I was, yep. Article called, um, and marketers shouldn't take offense because marketers are key to a brand promise, but it basically said your brand promise is too important for marketing. Uh, and it picks up on this idea that, you know, often content is thought of as uh, something marketing does to generate leads. But honestly, yeah. content and particularly stories, best way to shift a conversation from your product to buyer value. So think about how do you take great content stories or insight posts um, and give them to every single team. Marketing, well, again, prospect, you, sales, success, all should have content and stories that bring your brand promise alive in the conversation. If you got a good product, do you need marketing? Yeah, 100%. There's such a, it's such a noisy environment out there. It's such a noisy environment. And, and this is, uh, I didn't set out, Pete, on my uh, writing my book to become my chief marketing officer. Yeah. yeah. I'm my chief marketing officer. And Man, I, what I didn't know, because I'm an inveterate sales guy like you, but I mean, we now are, we got a social channel, we got an inbound channel, we got an outbound channel, we got a partner channel, we got a speaking channel. Um, we're doing it all because you got to do it all to meet buyers where they are, you yeah, know? they are. I mean, the people that interact with that CEO world post, totally different than interact with our our normal LinkedIn post. So here, here's where I do take a, take exception with marketing where people are not actually figuring out where do we, where do we win the quickest? Yeah. And there's a lot of marketers that are just content to spend money, but never actually say, okay, well, where are my opportunities coming from? Mm -hmm. And which are those, which are the best, the ideal buyer profile? So I think, you know, just a simple quarterly review, like we spent money here, what came out of it, Yeah, uh, that builds a lot more confidence in marketing than, hey, no, we just got to keep building our brand. Every CMO would come, started a new company and they were like, we're going to change the website and make it rain leads. And then they would change the website and go quiet and then they'd get fired. <laughs> it's like, come on, man, like, Jesus, do something for us. Anyway, um, so uh, Pete and I do uh, quite a bit of consulting on the side and our clients are usually earlier stage and they're chomping at the bit to to discover like the best value propositions for uh, for their products and for their buyers, yep. of course, associated. How do you recommend that companies that have limited resources, like we all do, uh, go about figuring out those best value propositions? Yeah, go talk to your customers. I mean, this is the untapped resource of customer stories. Every team we start to work with, they have tribal knowledge. They've never written it down, right? So, I mean, I'll, I'll just give you an example of a company called uh, Yellow Dig, which is in the higher education space. And took about three weeks to get 15 really high quality stories. And some of those are around better learning experience for students. Some are about energizing faculty. Some are about building course completion and persistence, right? So they, so I mean, I don't mean to be cheeky, but usually if you are, you just go by segment, by kind of persona, you can just ask your customers, you know, what was it we moved forward for you? And, and think about a simple problem, solution, result framework. Um, you know, and good sales guys, you guys know, you keep those good customers as references for your next sales. 
mm-hmm. your next sell, right? So go ask them. So I think that's the most important thing that often is untapped. Mm-hmm. Capture your customer stories and sell them forward. What What are your thoughts on uh, net promoter score? If you're going to ask a question, mm-hmm. do you think it's valuable to ask them, hey, you know, would you recommend us to a friend? Be, be curious to hear your thoughts. Yeah, no, I think it's a I think it's a great one, both externally or internally, right? Many of the HR tech companies we work with, they'll ask their employees that, right? Would you recommend somebody to work here? And you get a pretty quick indication of who are the supporters, you know, who's kind of on the fence and, and who's below the line. So uh, the other thing that's nice about a net promoter score is obviously they can benchmark that. Right. right. I mean, they can benchmark relative to similar industries, similar kind of comps. So on the marketing side of things, uh, I mean, this is sort of a curveball, but would you recommend a survey uh, with a customer that you've had, you know, 90 days, six months, a year, whatever the stage is that they're in? Yeah. You would ask them those questions so you can get the data? You sure. I mean, as part of a customer success process, you could imagine that. But I, I would just say again, I mean, I think almost every company we work with, I'm talking Scene Group, $100 million industrial automation company is another one that comes to mind. Novoed, $25 million company in the, um, the, the, the learning space, a collaborative learning platform. Every one of those, uh, the start of the project is let's just get a dozen stories with existing customers that we know are really happy. You know, Yellow Dig is a couple million dollars. It's just a chronic problem. So yes, you can survey. Um, I would just encourage as you do consulting, it's like, hey, do, can we get a dozen stories? Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. Can we ask our top salespeople? Can we ask our top success people? Can we ask our CEO? Tell some stories and just start to pattern recognize. It's, it is the most untapped asset of anything if you want to move towards a value-driven approach stories and what we were just talking about this idea of discovery is give and take if i have nothing to recap to you i haven't asked good questions because i haven't stimulated you to share anything of interest now you may give the same answer but we do have a lot of small businesses that listen to the podcast and they're about to hit peter principle right they're getting through their to the level where, you know, they, they might need a little bit of help because, uh, you know, they're not $100 million, but they're on their way to get there. Do you have any advice that you would give the small business guy out there that's his own CRO, his own CMO? I mean, I, I am in that situation, right? I mean, we're an early growth company, uh, pleased to be in the top 5% of companies that are over a million dollars in revenue, but we're not to $10 million, right? Mm-hmm. So. I'm in that situation, and I think what I found is I wanted to find a head of marketing. I wanted to find a CMO. It actually made a lot more sense for me to start working with um, contractors for those channels that you need. Like, find somebody who's really good at outbound, and we found a partner there. Find somebody who's really good at content marketing that can kind of pace with you. Find somebody that can help you optimize your website. So I, I have four different contractors that I, and so I am my CMO, but they do the work mm-hmm. and I make sure it comes together. And that uh, so much better than all the head of marketing CMOs that I interviewed that uh, wanted to, you know, ten fifteen thousand dollars $15,000 retainer to basically do strategy. Mm-hmm. I'm like, I can't afford that. Mm-hmm. I was just going to say, what are some of the good uh, third-party sites that you use to find the contractors? 
Um, I, you know, I have done it mostly through just networking, LinkedIn networking. I mean, I went out, so like content, the content marketing person is somebody I worked with years ago at Edge Ventures. And I just kind of went out and looked at content strategies. She came up and I found her, um, the outbound marketing, a client. I just asked the client who was working on outbound and having success. And I said, Hey, who are you working with? You know, a group named Vanguard Prospecting. And so I started working with them on the SEO. Actually, uh, there's a woman who's just really good at this. She's an independent contractor who's based in India. Uh, And so she's helped us build our content funnels uh, Mm -hmm. for SEO, just taking our content and linking it up to use cases and and segments. Mm -hmm. So I I guess what I would say is think about getting partners that have a known process that you believe. Mm -hmm. Because people will tell you they can do all kinds of stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, that they can't. So actually ask them about their process and then reference their process, that the process worked. Uh, but I do think everybody in this position, you get to a certain critical mass, you should have an inbound strategy. You should have an outbound strategy. You should have a referral strategy. And you should have a LinkedIn or a Twitter, some kind of content strategy. You should just intentionally over 12 months and I put those in place like three to four months at a time. I'd lock one down. Mm. Okay, now somebody else can manage it. I need to lock the next one down. So it's been a lift, but well worth it. On the inbound side, uh, you got any thoughts on chat? Is chat be growing, going down? It was a fad. What On the inbound and outbound side, so one, if you guys were to ask me the key tip on prospecting that early stage anybody gets wrong is – they tend to treat campaigns as glorified spam. And if you look at their campaigns, there are eight topics that are covered in eight touches. If you want to get a more engagement, every campaign just have one theme. And you multiple ways you say it, but don't confuse them. They're not going to engage until touch three or four. So pick a value theme for a persona, try it for a month, right? And I, so I think of... You know, I think of basically of email, social, phone, and your <clears> basic <throat> blocking and tackling for prospecting until you have a deeper level of familiarity. And, and then, yeah, then you can use text. Then you can put people into, you know, Slack or something else where you're kind of engaging them in a community. But before that, it's kind of noise, right? Mm. You're trying to get them interested in how you're going to make them more successful, and you're just coming at them with all kinds of stuff. So, no, I'm not a fan of chat for prospecting. <laughs> it, That's the short answer. <laughs> in, uh, in the way you think about um, the outbound prospecting, and you mentioned LinkedIn messages, emails, calls, how do you think about using those three? And I'll give you some thoughts or choices here. Is it you use each one of them individually or use them all together for greater results. Somewhat leading, obviously, but how, how do you how do you think about that? It's a second for sure. Is just the idea of, and this goes back to your overall marketing strategy. Let's let the people pick their channel in a campaign. It's like, hey, let's touch them by email. Let's touch them by phone, voicemail, LinkedIn. Mm-hmm. See what they opt into. Mm-hmm. what they respond to. So kind of make it, uh, you know, the player's choice, not the dealer's choice. You give them all three options. Yeah, at the same time. At the same, well, in, in sequence. Yeah, in you know, sequence. Every three, three days, five days. Yes. You're hitting them with a, a, a line messaging touch uh, in a different channel. 
get this, Brent. I have a customer who um, chose uh, to, because it was the lowest cost, chose to um, do outbound prospecting solely through email to uh, a bunch of potential buyers. And his response to me was, nobody respond. No response whatsoever. First of all, show me the data. I'm sure it wasn't zero, but show me show me the data. And I said, you know, listen, I felt like, you know, I told you that you should be using a collective strategy and not just solely emails. And I suggested a cadence that had like 10 touches that included emails, calls, voicemails, LinkedIn messages that, that went along with it. It was like you went into the boxing ring with one arm tied behind your back. And then, and then we're like, God, how, how come I got my butt kicked? <laughs> you know? Um, and so as a result, we're now, uh, you know, trying this campaign again, but it, you, the net net here, Brent, if I'm hearing you correctly, I'm recapping is that it's better for our customers to try, you know, those three or four mediums in sequence, as opposed to one individually at a, at a time. Am I hearing you right? Yeah, I mean, I think the multi-channel approach you described is definitely what we recommend. And a, a couple of examples in, in the book, actually, I think of Torchlight, I think of uh, Mainstay, I think of the work we do with Immersion. All of them were uh, doing high-volume emails and then shift their messaging, you know, largely around products, shifted the messaging to leading with questions and leading with stories or leading with client lists, like for social proof, mm -hmm. and then went to that multi-touch and on average, you know, 65% improvement in the number of meetings from the same contact pool by leading with value and multi-channel touches. That's been our experience. I, th I think I'm gonna steal some stuff from you here because I tell you what, this, yeah, very, this, yeah. this, this very same customer, Brent, uh, I don't believe we've talked to their hundreds of customers. They're still early stage, but they have hundreds of customers. And we've been, you know, putting a wet finger in the air and trying to figure out what the value proposition with the messaging. And I don't think we've actually just done Occam's razor, which is talk to the customers, for God's sakes. Your instinct is exactly right. I mean, in my acknowledgments to this book, I'm basically like, look, like any good consultant, I just listen to smart people and pull it into my own framework. <laughs> Steal mercilessly, put yeah. your own term on it. Yeah, yeah, there you go. Become a traveler and a thief. Brent, I'm going to go on a limb here. In one minute, for somebody that isn't doing any email out there, can you tell us what a drip campaign is? Yeah, I mean, so a drip campaign, just build on what we just said, is let's say you actually have a couple of customer stories, two or three, that you could just summarize in a quick snippet or a testimonial about how you move them forward. That's one element. Two element is, can you just list out reference customers, okay, in financial services or in manufacturing or in footwear, whatever it is, like like, right, three or four people we work with. And then the third element is good questions, right? How would you lead them to the value you provide? Like, are you worth, so let's take the torch-like example, rather than just, hey, we got the greatest caregiver platforms and sliced bread is questions like, you know, are you currently working on helping people manage their caregiver relationships and still do their work, right? Have you thought about how women who are progressing might have more challenges, women leaders that you want to promote? So just open with a question that draws people in. So good questions, good just little snippets on, hey, and this is what we did with Dell, right? Or this is what we did with J&J, different sectors, and, and list of names. I mean, those are, it's social proof. It's inviting a conversation. It's sharing social proof. So much more engagement than just product and feature dumping. 
sales rep at a company that has no marketing, they, they do a cold call and they get an email and it, the prospect says, yes, you can email me something. What, what would be the next stages, timeframes that you would email something? So I've caught them on the phone. And they say, well, I wouldn't get them off the phone. until." So if they've taken 30 seconds, here's where yeah. your value prop matters is what you want to say is, okay, there, there are probably three topics I could follow up on. So yeah. for, for Torchlight, let's stay on that analogy. You know, often it's that uh, they don't know who their caregivers are or it's supporting women into leadership roles or it's just keeping people time on task. Is any of those more important to you so I can share the right follow-up resources? So what I what I would encourage you to do is just those quick value phrases. Just get them to say, hey, can you, I'm just 30 seconds of your time so I can send the right follow-up. Are you working on any of these? Got it. Are you trying to close for the appointment? You run the appointment. You try to sell them, and they say, ah, you know, I'm not ready right now. Try to get a date from them, and you put it in your calendar. A week, send them something, a testimonial, two weeks. Just kind of curious what your thoughts are. So you did the call, and the call didn't lead to a lot of momentum. Right. I mean, I, if I you close the opportunity, I'd put them into a drip campaign immediately. And I'd tell well, them that. I mean, I wouldn't surprise them. I'd say, hey, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. not the right time. I'm just going to keep sharing over thought leadership or our success stories with others. And, and, you know, I'll follow up again in a quarter. And how many you know, touches so, and how long would that campaign last? This is our buyer, our listeners would love to know that very tactical piece of info. Yeah, I mean, I, you know, a drip campaign, go to eight. Eight touches? Yeah. Over how, how long a period? period? Out of how, how, over how long of a period? I, you know, I would do that over six weeks. Mm hmm. Mm -hmm. I would kind of at the beginning give them a couple of touches and then weekly and then you close with a couple of accelerating touches saying I'm going away. You know, mm -hmm. I've, I've been sharing some stuff. Sounds like now still not the right time. Um, you know, I'll, I'll reach back in a quarter when we have new great insights or stories to share. Honestly, it's all this just coming back to what's in it for you. I love what's it. What's in it for you? Where's the value for you? I mean, it. It takes some work to build the playbooks, but it just it leads to transformational growth. Everybody will perform better at every phase of your revenue chain. I love it. What, what a, uh, a friend of mine used to say that there should be a, th a three to one ratio of content about the buyer and content about myself. So if yep. you know if I'm sending nine nine touches, ten touches out there, send three pieces out there that is a, you know insights for them, not about your product, and then one insight that might be about your product in, in and of itself. Sound about the right ratio? Yeah. No. The other thing it would encourage is connect those. You know. So here's a question: Are you working back to Torchlight? Are you working on kind of supporting those sandwich generation? women who have a parent at home and a kid mm -hmm. here's some of our capabilities that can help with that you know here's this here's the dell story on how we help dell with that problem here are some of the capabilities right so you map your capabilities to that the the value that you're solving for them but 100 percent, they're going to be a lot more interested in the the questions the, the snippets uh are going to get a lot more of the uh, list of clients are going to get a lot more attention than your product capabilities. Product capabilities <laughs> sound like blah, 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 honestly. Yeah. 
yeah. very hard to differentiate them. It's not going to, it's noise. But when you throw out names they recognize or a quick testimonial or a good question, they will engage in a different way. Brian, you gave us a ton of tips already, and I, I and I feel greedy, but do you have a couple tips that we could g- give out to our, you know, newer salespeople out there? Um, recap often. Recap your buyer's success statement often and figure out the questions that get your buyer to share that. Because honestly, this is, I mean, product pitching, as you guys know, is of epidemic proportions, right? We <laughs> Even with senior sellers, and I won't name clients, but I'm on a lot of calls. I'll join some of our team members and people have scheduled the demo. And I'll just say, you know, do you know what their business problem is? No, but we'll figure it out in the demo. Like, no, you're just going to pitch the product to them. Yeah. Show so up and throw can up, you Show up and throw up. So can you, before the demo, just say, here are the three things we could cover. What's most important that we should start with? So this is, if you want to do well in the modern day of selling, figure out how you can ask questions that get your buyer to share what will make them more successful. Where would you want to be, you know, in six months? If you if you were working on caregivers, where would you want to be in six months? If you could improve how you do analytics across different groups, what would be a win for you? What would make you a hero to your boss? Figure out your questions that get them to share what will make them a successful. Why are you on the call? What's the one thing you want to get out of the call? Whatever your language is about being a hero, the touchdown dance, maybe wave a magic wand, you got to get them to tell you what's going to make them more successful. You don't have a sales opportunity until you do. When is your book coming out, and what's the best way for our listeners to learn more about you? Yeah, so uh, it comes out on April 5th, and best way is just easy to remember domain is authenticitywins.com, and that will take them right to our homepage and our book website, and they can, like Kevin did, they can download the forward uh, and the first chapter of the book. Uh, right at that website. And so they'll give, you know, they've heard a sense of how we think about the world from this, but that will go a little bit deeper. And your website is winalytics.com, W-I-N-A-L-Y-T-I-C-S? Dot com, yep. Dot com, okay, great. And I'm always right. happy. They can email me directly at bkeltner at winalytics.com as well. Always happy to take questions. And we'll put all that in the uh, podcast notes. Brent, thanks for coming on the show, man. Yeah, Pete and Kevin, great to talk with you guys today. That was awesome. That was awesome. Thanks for listening to Sassholes. On behalf of Jamie, KG, and myself, Pete, we thank you for listening, and we ask that you give us five stars in Apple Podcasts. Hey, if they can't hear us, we can't help them. Subscribe to our weekly newsletter, and you always can buy us a beer on Patreon slash Sassholes. We thank you for tuning in. Cue the music.